This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Resolute Square. Our guest today on the enemies list is Congressman Jamie Raskin. Uh, Jamie is the representative for Maryland's 8th Congressional District. He is a constitutional scholar who has absolutely been a champion in Congress of pushing back against a lot of the chaos and craziness on the Republican side of the equation in the last few years. And he's done it from a perspective that for, I think, for a while, Democrats kind of ceded to the Republicans. It's the rule of law and the Constitution and how much they matter in our system, no matter which party you're in. And and for that, I'm really delighted he's joined us today on the enemies list. Congressman Raskin, thank you so much for coming on today. You're very kind to have me, and I'm really, I've been looking forward to it, Rick. Well, thank you. You made some news last uh, in the last week or so talking about the fact that we can identify at least $7.8 million of money that flowed to Donald Trump's pockets from folks like the Saudis and the Chinese and the Russians in, in, in the prior administration. Talk to us a little bit about that report and about uh, why that's consequential now as we go into the next uh, election cycle. Well, look, this was uh, a central principle of the Constitution for the founders. They wanted uh, our president and all of our elected officials to be faithful fiduciary servants of the American people, not Saudi monarchs and Chinese communist bureaucrats. Um, And they understood very well uh, the agency problem of the person who's the agent for the public going off and cutting their own deals with foreign governments, lining their own pockets, and then selling out the people. Fortunately, for the, the rest of American history, no president's ever done that. And suddenly Donald Trump got elected and he said he was not going to divest himself of any of his more than 500 businesses. And he would not adopt a rule that he wouldn't do business with foreign kings, princes, and states, which is what's explicitly forbidden by the Constitution unless he goes to Congress in order to get congressional consent and permission. So we've been fighting for seven years to get uh, this information. Donald Trump and his administration fought us every step along the way. His business fought us every step along the way. Um, And Chairman Comer when he came in as chairman of the Oversight Committee in January of last year, immediately told Mazars, Trump's accounting firm, that they no longer needed to comply with the judicial court order from 
the D.C. District Court, which was under a Supreme Court decision, which said he had to turn over this information, that Congress had a legitimate interest in enforcing the Monuments Clause. But even with all that, we were able to get a significant snapshot of what was taking place. As you say, it's very partial. It's only four of Trump's more than 500 businesses. It was only for the first two years of the administration, not the second two years of the administration. And it was for only 20 countries out of 195 on earth. So $7.8 million just scratches the surface, but it's still $7.8 million more than the Constitution allows and more than any president has ever done before. I mean, if you look at the history of it, Abraham Lincoln got these two elephant tusks from the King of Siam during the Civil War that he loved. And instead of just keeping them, he went to Congress and he said, can I keep them? And Congress, even though they loved Honest Abe, said, no, you can't keep them, turn them over to the Department of the Interior. And that has been the historic practice. I mean, Ireland tried to give John F. Kennedy honorary Irish citizenship. And they and Kennedy was advised it does not violate the Emoluments Clause because it's not something of material value. It's not money. But they thought that it offended the spirit of the Emoluments Clause. And Kennedy said, I can't do it. I can't accept this. And so every other president has been scrupulous. Donald Trump, on the contrary, went out. His business went out to shake down all the foreign governments. And the more corrupt and unsavory, the better. So the leading one here is the Chinese government. Uh, which, you know, uh, sniffed out in Donald Trump, somebody who had his tin cup out, the murderous monarch of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And of course, that was just a a pittance compared to what they uh, did to pay back the Trumps with the $2 billion to Jared Kushner for his phony uh, investment fund. Um, And so what we're talking about is a basic sellout of the American people, I do fault us, the Democrats, for not putting this front and center during the Trump administration, because everybody knows that Donald Trump is a ripoff artist and everybody could understand the con game other than, you know, like the the Ukraine shakedown, which was real and was totally impeachable. But it was far more complicated. And this is so simple. He's he's been taking money, millions of dollars from foreign governments, lining his pockets and totally transforming our system of government. You know, I think that's I think that's one thing that people sort of shrugged about in the beginning. It's like, oh, it's his hotels, it's his country clubs, it's condos, and, and you know that's just what he does. But every other president in our lifetimes, including presidents who had significant personal wealth, like George H. W. Bush, I mean, Ronald Reagan had some decent personal wealth. Kennedy's likewise. They all respected the emoluments clause. They took. They put firewalls in place. They blind trusted things, and 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 this this idea that we just sort of let Trump get away with it for the entire run of his of his candidacy and his presidency, it, it strikes me as one of those things where the value of the Constitution and the rule of law is observed on the Republican side for for show purposes, but not for actual governance these days. They really don't care about the law, and they don't care about the Constitution, and they don't care about the appearance even of, of something that would violate the Constitution. It's just, it's just window dressing now. I was just going to say, well, you know, what are the characteristics of an authoritarian or a fascist political party, right? One is that they elevate the personal will of the charismatic leader over the rule of law and the constitution of the society. Another is they refuse to accept 
the results of democratic elections that don't go their way. And another is they refuse to disavow or they embrace political violence as an instrument for obtaining and maintaining political power. These are all classic hallmarks of authoritarianism, Rick. And I think you're right. I mean, it's kind of like that old broken windows theory that James Q. Wilson advanced. If you let people get away with minor vandalism of breaking windows and stealing hubcaps and uh, shoplifting, the next thing is, you know, people are going to be knocking over uh, banks and gas stations and so on. It's the exact same thing with Donald Trump. We let him get away with the emoluments clause because people said they couldn't even pronounce emoluments or whatever. We say, oh, yeah, it's fine if the president is basically in business with foreign governments. And next thing you know, he's staging a political coup and a violent insurrection against the government because he thinks the Constitution is just, you know, a, a bunch of words on paper. Well, I think the January 6th moment and and to my mind, the most consequential of the cases against Trump right now involves the January 6th stuff because that is the, the most direct and harsh challenge to a constitutional order in this country, in my view. And 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 you've talked a lot about this and, and that you've examined this question a lot, obviously, through the January 6th and everything else. You know, we are still at a, a moment now, I think, where your colleague, Elise Stefanik, over the weekend called the people who have been arrested for violent crimes judged by a court and jury to be guilty and and imprisoned for those crimes. She called them hostages. This is profoundly, in my mind, corrosive to the rule of law, corrosive to a constitutional government. Is there anyone left on the Republican side in your in your in your view that is willing to speak the truth about January 6th at all? I can't find anybody these days. Yeah, I don't know exactly how you self-identify anymore, Rick, or Liz Cheney, or Adam Kinzer. There are obviously people who are within the Republican Party who woke up one day like people sleeping in the basement of a religious cult and say to themselves, you know, something went wrong. Something is really weird, and I've got to get the hell out of here, you know? Um, I don't know if those people are still Republicans. But yeah, in terms of the active cult following of Donald Trump, Elise Stefanik is a good example of the utter ethical, moral, and intellectual collapse of uh, people who are members of the GOP. I mean, so let's leave aside uh, her appalling personal dissent for a second and just look at um, the assertion that people who've gone through our justice system for having violently assaulted federal officers or destroyed federal property, or engaged in seditious conspiracy, which means conspiracy to overthrow or put down the government of the United States, that these people are hostages. Well, that's it's an outrage and it's a scandal, uh, obviously. A majority of these people pled guilty. In other words, on their own account, they did it. And they're in prison now. The others have been convicted by a jury of their peers. But of course, since the cult master has dictated that they be called hostages, then uh, Elise Stefanik, who considers herself the great opponent of anti-Semitism in America, except when it comes to Nicholas Fuentes, who dines over at Donald Trump's house, the uh, renowned Holocaust revisionist uh, neo-Nazi, she decides she's going to go along and call these people hostages. They owe an apology to the families of 130 hostages now being held by Hamas. And these are families that we've been meeting with on Capitol Hill. We have a protest 
I'm hoping to go to tomorrow at the Qatari embassy about the hostages if we're out of committee in time. But we're doing everything we can to get the hostages back. And here she is blurring the boundary between people who've been taken captive for a political or financial ransom with people who have gone through the American due process system. And I think that moral vacuum, that moral collapse, it, it feels universal and it feels permanent to me, at least. So it's, it's why I left the party. I've got a bust of one president on my desk in the Rayburn House office building, and it's Abraham Lincoln. I didn't used to think of myself as an especially partisan person. Uh, Lincoln was always my favorite, has always been my favorite. He was the founder of the Republican Party, uh, obviously the namesake for the Lincoln Project. Um, but he created the Republican Party as a pro-liberty, pro-union, anti-slavery, anti-know-nothing, pro-immigration, pro-reason, pro-science, uh, pro-enlightenment party. And they have reduced it to a cult of authoritarian personality. And I've told Republicans to their face, I said, when we get through this nightmarish period of our history, uh, they will be fit only for selling incense and flowers at Dulles Airport and sleeping on the basement floor <laughs> listening to tapes of Donald Trump all night. They have uh, suspended their critical thinking skills and they're acting like Moonies. Yeah, the cult-like aspect of it is is unquestionable. And the, the irony of it all is their commitment to him is so unflinching. But as you pointed out in our, in our very first topic, it's, it's like this guy was here to make money. He wanted to be famous and make more money. This was a grift. It's the most successful business he's ever had is ripping off his small dollar donors and and getting foreign powers to to write him checks. And it's all projection. All the stuff, oh, Hunter's laptop, it's all projection. It, it, Joe Biden is a guy who who has been around a long time. He's 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 made a little bit of money, but not that much. This is a guy who Trump Trump is a guy who projects all this in the worst possible way. So I, I wanted to jump to the subject the state efforts under the 14th Amendment to tag Trump as an insurrectionist and remove him from some of the primary ballots that are going on right now. I want to get your thoughts on that. It's been controversial, frankly, on both sides. Um, and the Republicans are in a, in, are in a we'll, we'll take Biden off the ballot because of immigration. But where do you stand on that? Where, how do you see that playing out in the coming, in the coming Supreme Court case and uh, in the weeks ahead? Yeah, I mean, it's only controversial because Donald Trump has undermined uh, everybody's understanding and of the Constitution and commitment to it. Look, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Uh, I turn on the TV and I hear these Trump followers say, well, it would be undemocratic, it would be unfair to uh, block him from the ballot because Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Really, there are more than 100 million people who can't run for president in America. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez can't run for president. She's too young. Maxwell Frost can't run for president. He's too young. There's a bunch of Republican members who are too young. Uh, it's not just age. Uh, we have uh, 25 or 30 million Americans who were born abroad. Arnold Schwarzenegger was born in Austria. He can't run for president. Jennifer Granholm can't run for president. Those are far more morally arbitrary classifications or barriers to candidacy 
then you have undertaken to overthrow the government of the United States. The, and th that affects, I estimate, maybe a dozen people in the country today, maybe a dozen, maybe a half dozen, and they have disqualified themselves, Rick. In other words, Donald Trump put himself in that situation, right? Barack Obama can't run for president again because he's already served two terms. And you know who understands the, the constitutional qualifications for president as being perfectly constitutional and democratic? Donald Trump, because he made his career running around the country saying that Barack Obama should not be allowed on the ballot because he was born in Kenya. Now, he was wrong on the facts. He was lying about it, but he was right about the principle. If you're born abroad, you can't run for president. And if you engage in insurrection or rebellion, you can't be president. It is it, it it to my mind is like one of the the low watermarks of Trump as a public figure is there are people around him and I think if you if you gave him the chance at all that he would simply shrug and say yeah I'm gonna I, I'm I'm president for life this isn't some Middle Eastern potentate this is an actual you know American system or at least as long as we can keep it this way. But there, you're right. There, there is a we we've defined it down so far. We've let it go so far. Of Trump's above the law as long as he has power and the Republicans have power, everything is acceptable. The ones he loves are the the baby faced dictator of North Korea, who he writes love letters and valentines to, or mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin in Russia. He loves the autocrats and the dictators. That's the kind of government he wants. He wants us to have and like, you know, he feels like he's a dictator in his businesses. But as you're saying, his businesses have all gone bankrupt and failed. And he found his greatest grift at all, ripping off the American taxpayers. And we're going to release our next report about the, dom the domestic emoluments clause and how he was getting federal agencies and governments to pour money into his hotels and golf courses, too. But, yeah, that, that's his greatest grift. And his determination to stay in office through fraud and through violence is a reflection of the fact that he's got to keep the grift going. And now, of course, he's using it to try to stay out of business. And he, you know, asserts this outrageous claim of categorical presidential immunity. If you're president, you can rape, you can murder, you can try to overthrow the government. And there's nothing that anybody can do about it, which was which is comical because during the impeachment and the trial, they were all saying, well, if there's a real crime, just prosecute him. You'll right. right. <laughs> well, I, I also think it's hilarious that he's out putting out statements on Truth Social saying, I have absolute immunity for anything I've ever done. But when I'm president again, I'm going to prosecute Joe Biden for what? Vibes? Your, your gut instinct? You just don't like the guy? It, it is the cognitive dissonance inside the inside the Republican universe right now. Uh, and look, you and I both know there are some very smart Republican lawyers out there. And with the exception of Mike Ludig and George Conway and a handful of others, most of them are like sort of trying to keep their head down and not be drawn into what what they know to be a series of unconstitutional insanities from this guy. Well, and I should say some of those Republican lawyers helped save us from the worst outcome on January 6th. Richard Cullen, a former U.S. attorney in Virginia, really, I think, rendered excellent advice to Vice President Pence. Um, and Pence, of course, just held the line on that day. I mean, you know, and these days, just following the law makes you a constitutional hero, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of constitutional heroes, 
Uh, it's one thing that uh, we started talking about this at the very beginning. I want to I want to wrap up on this thought. You have sort of embraced this role now to to not let the Republicans hold the mantle of saying we're the constitutional party, we're the party that cares about the Constitution, because it turned out that that was a big lie. I think you've been a very effective voice in this because it just has. I think it reshaped the 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 perception of a lot of Americans about where Democrats are on the Constitution, because Republicans marketed very heavily for years. They don't, the Democrats don't care about the Constitution. They just love power. It was a, a massive case of projection. You seem to be very happy and comfortable and effective in this role as sort of the, the, the Constitution whisperer now in the Democratic Party. Well, hey, I appreciate that. That's high praise. You made my day, Rick. I mean, I, I will debate any of them anywhere on any subject within the Constitution because they're absolutely finger painting on the Constitution and its text and its history. (laughs) And if they have any respect for the text of the Constitution, for the language of the Constitution, for the history of the Constitution, for its original purposes, they have got to find that Donald Trump is disqualified by attempting to overthrow the 2020 presidential election. And they would have us believe that if Vice President Pence had succumbed to all the pressure and unilaterally declared that Donald Trump was the winner and voided out votes from Arizona, Georgia, and Pennsylvania, that Trump suddenly would have said at that point, oh, no, just kidding, really. We know that Joe Biden beat me by more than 7 million votes. I'm not going to take the presidency. I mean, come on. If you believe that, you're too innocent to be let out of the House by yourself. This This is a real political coup. He wanted to take power. Remember, the original rally that was called by the Women for America First was for January the 20th, the day of inauguration, right? It was going to be just a, you know, an old-fashioned inaugural protest. Donald Trump said, no, it's not over. January 6th at 1 p.m., you know, get everybody there. That's, that's where we will block the peaceful transfer of power. That all just unfurled out of Donald Trump's head. Because when it comes to, mm-hmm. you know, getting money and power, he is a mad genius. He has no respect for the rule of law. So, you know, thank you for saying that. I, you know, I, I think the Constitution does not belong to Clarence Thomas and Brett Kavanaugh and Mrs. Waterford and, you know, the people up there. The Constitution belongs to the people of the United States. It's our Constitution. Everybody's got to read it. Everybody's got to understand it. People have to treasure, treasure it, cherish it and defend it. Uh, and that's our job. And, you know, I had somewhat higher hopes for my career than just defending democracy against authoritarians and autocrats. But history plays tricks on all of us. And this is where I am. You know, and so this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Absolutely. God bless. God bless. Well, Jamie Raskin, I want to thank you for keeping up the good fight and for protecting and preserving this great republic of ours. And and I am so grateful you came on the show today. And I really want to thank you for your time. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. And thank you for your great work, Rick. You're an inspiration to me, man. On today's enemies list, whoever the asshole Trump stone incel jerkoffs were um, who swatted us at uh, three in the morning on the 9th of January. Look, I've been swatted before, but the circumstances are different in my life now for a lot of reasons. And the guys banging on the door at three in the morning the 15 sheriff's cars ambulances SWAT truck the whole thing people roaring up to the house with guns because they got a phone call saying that I'd killed somebody in my house Uh, I've disapproved of swatting for a long time because it's happened to me a lot all during the MAGA era you'll be surprised to hear I don't like it when it happens to anybody Marjorie Taylor Greene 
or Judge Chutkin or Jack Smith or me. But what swatting is, is a part of the spectrum of political violence that has become perfectly acceptable on the MAGA right. And look, the chances are you, whoever did it, used a void or used a throwaway phone number or one of these, you know, burner phones, and we'll never catch them. But the fact that you are of some belief that I will ever stop because you threaten me, that I will ever quit because you have the police come to my house, that I will ever be so stupid as to come out, you know, like armed up and tooled up to with the sheriff outside and get killed. You're insane. I will never stop. Now, yesterday I tweeted two things. I tweeted the Matt Drudge cover of the, the allegations that there were sex tapes with Trump at Epstein's mansion. And I tweeted that Roger Stone will die in prison. I believe both of those things could have motivated these kind of people, but I don't care. I don't care what you think. I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to I'm not going to bow down and go, "Oh, it's too intimidating. It's too frightening." Fuck off. Fuck right off. Now, you woke me up at 3 in the morning. You woke my fiance up at 3 in the morning. This was her first time at the rodeo for the swatting. Not a great night for her, but she's tough as nails and smart as a whip and knows how to handle herself. So she got it too. And if you want to try to hurt my family, you're going to do this. If you want to try to hurt me, you're going to do this. But if you're going to if you're going to do this, you better understand something. You have to kill me before I'll quit. That's it. I'm not stopping. I will not stop fighting him. I will not stop resisting him. I will not stop every minute of my day putting every ounce of energy I have into the feet of Donald Trump and his crapulous fascist movement. No chance, no how, no way. Come at me. That's it. You're on the enemies list. Fuck off. Thanks again for listening to the enemies list. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at the Rick Wilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list. <laughs>